Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed Marks, Digital Voices, so glad you can join us on this special drop for Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. I've been impacted by friends who've had colorectal cancer and it's something that's super preventable. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we go forward, but it's super, super important. And, and beyond that, though, I get to talk about it with my friend, colleague, Dr. Costas Kafalas. He's a gastroenterologist, but also a great leader. We're going to talk a lot about leadership and being on boards and a physician leader and medical director and all sorts of really interesting things. And so Costas, thank you for being with us. Well, Ed, thank you very much for the kind invitation and uh, introduction to be with you today. And right before we jump in though, Megan, I want to hear from you. So we've had a lot of physician guests across many different specialties. If you were going to med school and you had a choice of any specialty, what would it be? I don't know. I would have to say either a psychiatrist or maybe emergency medicine. Seems I don't know if I watch too many medical shows and I think that that seems glamorous or if, if I would actually be able to thrive yeah. in it. But it, the high pace, you know, energy that it seems to. And number three on your list, of course, was GI. Yes. They're all great because you get to help people and especially with the the prevalence of colorectal cancer. I mean, you can make a big, big impact and we're going to talk a lot about that. So when we first met Costas, I'm thinking it was at the Summa Health Board. So I have the privilege of serving on the board. You were on the board and we got a chance to connect. And I was like so impressed with you as a person, as a leader. And then, you know, you've taken on these national roles as well. And so I was like, I want to connect with Costas and, and have him as a guest. So Thank you again for being here. And the first question we always ask Costas is, what's on your playlist? So, you know, when you're, uh, maybe while you're doing surgeries, I don't know, but what do you like to listen to? Oh, for sure. So Glenn Phillips and Toad the Wet Sprocket is is one of my favorite bands. And, and Glenn's a lead singer and he just put out his new album, There Is So Much Here. And he's just an outstanding songwriter and musician. I love to listen to him. Uh, really helps me get through a lot. Uh, and of course, U2. Uh, U2 has a... Uh, new album, Songs of Surrender. It's slowly dropping some some of their songs. New takes on old songs. If you like you two, take a listen to that. And then, and then thirdly, so I'm in this Greek band, and we're always trying to find popular Greek songs to to cover. And uh, George Stratakis is a guy from Crete. He and his brothers have a an acoustic uh, Greek band that we're trying to play some of their music. Oh, that's awesome! And I know we're going to talk about that. A little bit later, I didn't realize you're actually in a band. What's the band called? Aegean Odyssey. Traveling through the Aegean Islands is is sort of the feel. Very cool. Uh, This is uh, going to be super interesting. What about life message and mantras? Is there something that sort of guides you in in your life? Yeah, I think one of the, the guiding principles for me is to whom much is given, much is asked. And I feel like I've been so blessed many times in my life throughout different times and through different crises. And I'm just happy to be able to, to serve. And it's certainly a privilege for me to, to be able to care for patients with digestive diseases. I, I enjoy doing it. That's great. Share with us a little bit. Well, we now, we now know there's a little bit of a Greek bent, but tell us a little bit about your story personally and professionally. Sure. So I grew up in Canton, Ohio. Uh, I'm a first generation Greek American. My parents both 
emigrated from Greece. And while I was in high school, my dad uh, developed cirrhosis from autoimmune hepatitis. And that's really what sparked my interest in medicine and, and in gastroenterology in particular. So after high school, I attended a local BSMD program at the University of Akron and Northeast Ohio Medical University. And this was an accelerated program where I was able to complete my degrees in seven years. Did my residency at SUMA here in Akron. So I've been involved with SUMA for at least 26 years now. And then did my GI fellowship training in Dallas at uh, Baylor University Medical Center. And it was there that I came to the realization that I really enjoyed taking care of patients. And, and that's what sort of led me down the road of uh, private practice as opposed to academics. And subsequently, we moved back to Akron to be near our families. Both my wife and I are from the area and uh, have been in private practice for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, interestingly, about uh, eight, nine years ago, I got the bug for additional education and uh, ended up obtaining a master's of medical management degree from Carnegie Mellon, really to formalize the leadership strategy and management experiences that I had encountered in my practice and, and other activities. So I didn't, wasn't sure if, <laughs> if it was right for me to do that in, in my early 40s, but at the end of it, I was just pleased to be able to, to complete that program successfully. And what I gained from that has been super helpful for me and what I'm doing now. And then lastly, personally, I'm married to a gynecologist and we have one daughter who will soon be a Buckeye at Ohio State University, or should I say the Ohio State University? Yeah, the Ohio State University. And is she planning on following in her foot? footsteps of her parents or is she maybe going in a different direction? Well, at this point, she's thinking health sciences, which uh, we'll certainly take, we'll accept. Uh, I don't think she's decided yet at, at 18, but uh, the doors are open. That's great. And did uh, you give her a, a name of Greek origin or does she have a, a more of a Akron-Canton flavor to her name? She actually has a, a biblical name, Lydia. So yeah, that's very the, pretty. Thank you. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have a lot in common, right? Because you were at Bumsey here in Dallas, where I reside, but I'm a, a born in Akron because, you know, my ties back to, to the Ohio, mid and north Ohio area as well. So it's um, very cool. So you have many different roles, which is, again, one of the reasons we wanted to talk because you're great, this great leader. And uh, share with us, give us some insights on your current practice and where you're a partner. Sure. So since 2003, when we moved back to the area, I joined Akron Digestive Disease Consultants. And this is a private practice that focuses on general gastroenterology and hepatology. And we have uh, five physicians, three advanced practice providers, and I'm currently the, the vice president of the group. We are an independent small practice, uh, which means we are not currently owned by a health system or private equity, which as of uh, a year or two ago, uh, at least 10% of gastroenterology practices had joined private equity. And uh, we have an endoscopy center. Uh, we perform 80% of our procedures at our endoscopy center. And frankly, it's just a, a really good place to, to work and the great staff makes it so. Yeah, and probably some of that is attributable to the fact that you're, that you're independent and you're not uh, beholden to PE or anything else. I imagine that's probably part of your strategy long-term is to stay that way. It is for yeah. sure. But clearly there are pressures, right? I mean, we're, we're in Akron, Ohio, where there are two large health systems, uh, three 
actually health systems in town and uh, many of the surrounding GI practices have gone over to private equity here in the last four or five years. So let's talk about your role at the Digestive Health Center as a medical director. So so that's something else that you spend some of your time on. Sure. And it's something I took over a couple of years ago when one of the senior partners retired. Uh, so as medical director, there's I, oversight of all the medical aspects of the ambulatory surgery center, the endoscopy center, credentialing staff, quality review, uh, any acute issues that come up that we have to deal with. And uh, the fact of the matter is our endoscopy center staff, as well as our physicians, are really geared towards quality assessment and, and performance improvement. It's such a big focus in the building, and I'm just really proud of that. So in addition to your current practice and being a partner in that practice and serving as a medical director, like I mentioned, we you also serve on other boards like Suma Health. Uh, can you share a little bit about the different boards that you're a part of? Sure. So I, I had the the privilege for six years to to serve as a physician director on the Suma Health board, which is the local health system here in uh, in Northeast Ohio Regional Health System, I should say. And uh, certainly, it, it was uh, a great experience working through a number of challenging issues. Not to mention the least of which was the, the pandemic uh, that occurred right in the middle of, of those six years. And it was just a really high functioning board. And, and the CEO, Cliff Devaney, really did a, a terrific job leading the organization through the pandemic and a number of the difficulties there. 14 years ago, I co-founded the Ohio Gastroenterology Society. Ohio was one of the largest states that did not have a GI society, professional uh, society for gastroenterologists. So it was certainly fun and a lot of work to uh, to start that along with another physician from Cincinnati and my practice manager. The three of us sort of put the board together and started it from the ground up. Currently, I have the privilege of serving on two national boards, the American uh, College of Gastroenterology and the uh, GI Quality Improvement Consortium, also known as GI Quick. Yeah, and so there you serve as president of GI Quick. Is that right? That's right. So I'm in my third of four years. It's a uh, four years as president. And and what GI Quick is? It's the largest national clinical data registry for gastroenterology. It was established in 2010. It's a collaboration of two national GI societies, the American College of Gastroenterology, as well as the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy. And there are at least 4,000 gastroenterologists that participate in this registry, which is essentially one out of every three gastroenterologists in the United States. And so far, we measure quality on two GI procedures, colonoscopy and upper endoscopy. And we've measured over 16 million colonoscopies since, uh, since 2010. And the whole point of GI Quick, the whole point of this registry is to improve patient outcome by allowing participating physicians to measure their data and then compare that data against specific and targeted national indicators. So by doing so, the thought is you're actually improving the performance of the participating physicians and patient care. And the GI Quick board itself is made up of seven gastroenterologists, all of whom are outstanding. And I'm proud to say that our, our practice here in Akron has been part of the registry for 10 years. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's using data and being transparent 
provides accountability and then oftentimes can lead to, you know, improved outcomes, right? Because you get to see how you're doing and comparative analytics and things like that. And we are going to talk a little bit of sort of about the the digital aspect of uh, GI and, and different things like that in a second. But in addition to that, you're also the secretary of ACG or the American College of Gastroenterology. How long have you been involved with ACG? So I started uh, 20 years ago, actually started serving on my first committee and have been on seven or eight different committees over the years and served as chair of the board of governors and now have the real honor of serving as the secretary of the ACG. And the ACG has 18,000 members, 86 countries, mostly in the United States, but members across the world. And the purpose of ACG, it's a professional society, and its purpose is to champion the needs of clinicians in delivering high-quality, evidence-based care. And, you know, aside from serving on the executive board and the board, there are specific functions the secretary does, signing off on membership uh, certificates, reviewing minutes, presenting the minutes at board meetings, the usual things that secretaries of of professional organizations do, but but clearly a distinct purpose. honor for me to serve in this role of this organization that I, I loved deeply. Yeah, no doubt about it. I remember my, when I was uh, on the provider side, my last organization and the CEO, you know, I was on the board of our professional society. I remember our CEO says, there's no greater honor than to be, you know, elected by your peers to be on the board, you know, serving that sort of function. So, wow, lots of great background. So kind of leading up to this question, and that is about, how has GI quality transformed over the years with technology? I mean, I touched on it a little bit, you know, with all the data that you have access to, but I would love to hear about, you know, how tech has really enabled, you know, improvements uh, in GI. For sure. And, and I think the, probably one of the best examples of this, if you'll allow me, with March being Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, is to highlight a high quality colonoscopy and, and colorectal cancer screening. So in our specialty, in our field, the emphasis on quality science has been around a while, but really has developed over the last 15 to 20 years. And part of that was our two of our national organizations, the ACG and ASG, getting together back in 05, 2005, 2006 and defining quality indicators. In other words, what are the factors that anyone who performs colonoscopy, what are the factors that should be followed, should be looked out for? Some of the key ones are even in in the lay press now, withdrawal time, how long it takes to pull the scope out looking for polyps when doing colonoscopy. Adenoma detection rate, what is the rate of the physician finding adenomatous polyps, which are precancerous polyps or growths in the colon, which if left in there could potentially turn into colon cancer down the road. The quality of the bowel prep. If you don't have a good prep, you're already behind the eight ball in terms of finding finding polyps. So the, the GI Quick Registry, which began once again in 2010, is a data registry that is computer-based. So if you participate as a physician, you're entering data at your practice or at your center across the country. Uh, the data is centralized. And, and the whole principle of this is, of course, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And so, okay, so this started and, and, and people are joining, people are doing, doing this. But then in 2014, A really important study came out by Dr. Doug Corley and his colleagues in the New England Journal of Medicine that showed that for every 1% increase in the adenoma detection rate, there was a 3% decrease in the risk of colorectal cancer. So if you as a physician could increase your 
ADR, your adenoma detection rate, 5%, you're doing a tremendous good to the patients in terms of decreasing their colorectal cancer risk. And so it was no surprise that those of us who were not part of the registry and measured our data beforehand locally, then joined uh, the the registry and, and had these quality indicators, we can show that most of those physicians' quality data improved simply by being part of the registry and formally measuring their data versus the national benchmarks. And at the end of the day, what's the most important outcome? That you're decreasing the risk of, of colon cancer by identifying these polyps. And so what's exciting to me is that soon, uh, within the next 12 months, GI Quick is going to expand to disease states, not just procedures, but disease states, inflammatory bowel disease, quality indicators for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, and eventually perhaps liver disease and reflux. And so the quality train has left the station and is moving forward. So, and then lastly, the the thing that I think we're all super excited about is, is the fact that patient reported outcomes will now be part of electronic health records and perhaps even the GI quick data registry. That's awesome. And this is so great to hear, you know, that it's happening in GI because as we've talked about, it's an ease, the most, one of the most, or if not the most uh, preventable cancers. And, um, you know, the fact that you're doing so much with the data to continuously improve the capabilities and the outcomes really says a lot. And so, that, again, that's why I get excited. And like I said, I've got a couple uh, personal connects with those who've suffered from uh, colorectal cancer. So how about ACG? How are you using digital there for its membership? So once again, the, the, the mission of ACG is is to promote education and excellent clinical care for gastroenterology. So digital engagement, our publications and learning and specific examples of these include our website, uh, gi.org, which is essentially the home for clinical gastroenterology. And of course, the it's Twitter account at AM College Gastro. We have what's called the ACG Education Universe, which has modules with key topics in gastroenterology, can be accessed by any of our members, physicians, advanced practice providers, anyone who's a member of the organization. And this offers continuing medical education that all of us have to uh, achieve every year or two. We also have an ACG virtual grand rounds, which really developed during the time of the pandemic when people really couldn't go to their local hospital for grand rounds, couldn't go to meetings, couldn't go to conferences. And so the organization started this on a weekly basis and it was so popular that they decided to continue it every week to date. And then lastly, we have journals, scientific journals, publications, and really the use of podcasts and social media has expanded how the conversations around new uh, publications, new research has been not only put out there, but carried and extended the conversation forward beyond just the month that uh, the study was published or the journal in which it was published. Now with with uh, podcasts on numerous key articles and of course, social media, the conversation continues and the information is dispersed even more. That's great. So you, you as uh, practicing physicians, 
not only improving quality of care, but also you're using the digital tools yourself. And uh, we'll drop some of the process. We'll drop some of what you mentioned, like the, the website and Twitter handle. We'll drop those in the show notes for those who might be listening while they're driving. And what about tech in the future or digital in the future in terms of GI? It, how is the practice of GI changing as a result of technology? Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, in many ways, the future is now. And the one example that comes to mind I'd like to note is artificial intelligence. And much like uh, in other industries, it has arrived in gastroenterology. There is an, in gastroenterology, there's an FDA approved artificial intelligence AI device by the company Medtronic called GI Genius. And this connects to the colonoscopy processor in the rooms when we do colonoscopy, and it helps to identify polyps on the screen. There's a sort of a green flashing box I mean, it, it almost is like you're, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're in the TIE fighter and, <laughs> and you lock in on this, on the ship. I mean, it, it's exactly what it's like. And to be clear, I have no stake in this company. I have uh, no stake in any company. Our uh, group piloted this uh, device. We intended to pilot it for three months, but after one month, all partners unanimously said, we'd like to have this permanently in all three of our rooms because of what we saw during that month, the number of polyps increased. We were finding polyps that were small and we may not have seen initially. And more importantly, sometimes when you find a polyp and you're positioning the scope to remove the polyp or the growth, it may leave the field of view. And then you spend five or 10 minutes trying to find it again. Well, with, with this GI genius, once it locks onto the, to the polyp, you know, whether you're inserting water that the polyp is still there. It's locked on the, the polyp most of the time. So it has made us more efficient in, in removing polyps and also finding polyps that we may not have seen because although colonoscopy is the best test to identify and remove polyps, it is not perfect. Right. But this device certainly enhances that. The other tech thing is natural language processing. And this can certainly help with clinical documentation. And it may also optimize decision making. And and this both this and artificial intelligence, as we know, it's here and it's improving. I mean, we're gonna see future iterations of of both of these where AI five years from now in colonoscopy is going to be much better than it is than it is today. But as a whole, it's really an exciting time to be in in gastroenterology and in medicine and in general when it comes to the future in tech. No, that's awesome. I love those use cases. Let's switch to leadership now. So we talked a lot already about just kind of, you know, you personally and then your maturation into a clinician and your life story. And then we headed into all the things that you're involved with in addition to practice and then how GI has really evolved itself in terms of the adoption of technology, both from a professional organization point of view, but also from a clinical point of view. So I want to take all this and now talk a little bit about leadership. So what's the hardest decision you ever had to make? Probably number one is the decision to move back to Ohio. My wife had a very, had a very good practice as a OBGYN in, in Garland, since you, you know where that is. And she was the second, second woman out of 16 gynecologists and really had a great private practice there. And Dallas, of course, in Texas is great from a healthcare standpoint, but our families were home. And at the time it was a, a difficult decision. Looking back, it was one of the best decisions we ever made. But uh, when you're 29 or 30, whatever we yeah. were at the time, it, it, it was just a 
a tough call. Yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. What about advice for physicians who are listening and they're like, man, Costas, he's done a lot. Bobby, you're still a very young person. What advice would you give them for looking for leadership opportunities? I'll pass on the advice that was given to me. And that includes a couple of points. One, 80% is simply showing up. I really believe this. I mean, it's just amazing to me how if you just show up, opportunities are, are at hand to be accepted. And in terms of specific opportunities, leadership opportunities, you know, if you're in a private practice, identifying a practice concern, developing a solution, serving on a practice, hospital, or health system committee is a good place to start. Serving on a professional society committee or task force. For all of these, volunteers are usually welcome and opportunities like these are readily available. And, and it goes without saying that if, if you show up and participate and be above average, you're likely going to be invited to do other things in terms of higher levels of leadership. Those opportunities generally fall on the people that are doing it and, and doing it well. Yeah. And, you know, there, it's really this perfect trifecta of one, you get to learn. You're, you're naturally going to be exposed to things you never knew about and you're going to learn. You get to change things, right? Because we all sort of like complain about stuff like, why isn't it this way? Why isn't it that way? And uh, But when you're in there, you know, you can help make change. And then, then you're adding value oftentimes. Could be clinical care, adding value, quality of care. Sometimes it's just maybe just something for employees. There's a lot of different great reasons uh, to get involved. So you named several of them. You know, with everything that's changing, right? The practice, the nature of practice, the politics around practice, care, reimbursement, tech, how do you stay current and, and at the same time keep an eye on the future? By staying engaged, Ed, really, it's important for me to, to stay engaged, whether it's clinical gastroenterology and, and reading up on new protocols and guidelines that, that have come out or new research, or whether it's management and, and leadership, what I'm doing locally here in Akron or at the national level. Ongoing education is paramount for me, and, and that includes attending courses, uh, listening to speakers and experts online, reading reading articles, networking with colleagues in person. I, I still have a lot to learn. Yeah. And listening, of course, to digital voices every week. <laughs> of course. You're super busy as we've already established doing a lot of different things. How do you recharge your batteries and remain fresh? So in, in the short term, on a weekly basis, I try to play my drum kit or my hand drums, cajon, doombeck, djembe. Oftentimes it's just me and and music on headphones. I'm currently in, in an acoustic Greek band that plays popular covers. And so we practice monthly and we perform at our local Greek church festival and at other events as, as they come up, rare as they may be. And then of course, the real recharge is, is going away. And my favorite trips happen to be to Greece and, and Greek islands. For me, there's there's no better recharge. I leave my laptop uh, stateside and forget about a lot of things. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I was at a Greek festival in North Ohio. I was in Cleveland though. I can't remember which church, but we really enjoyed the food, the dancing, the music. Maybe you, your band was there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but next time I come up, you know, cause I, I come up often for the Suma Health Board. I'm going to definitely uh, try to check with you ahead of time, see, if, see what's going on that weekend. Would love to hear you uh, play. You know, I mentioned a couple of times, Costas, this is very personal to me. I'm in my 10th year of Team USA and the reason for triathlon. And the reason I got there is uh, a long time ago, I was challenged by someone to do my first Ironman. 
And it turns out that person, the reason I did it was, was uh, dying of uh, colorectal cancer. And sorry to hear that. Yeah. So she was, you know, she, her name is Ellen Roberts. So I sort of dedicate this, this drop to her, but she was there. She welcomed me across the finish line and it was uh, just a great thing that we shared a moment that we shared together. And uh, so ever since then, I've been a super huge advocate of appropriate testing. So as we end our session, what did we miss or anything you'd like to double down on? You know what? I, I appreciate you mentioning the colon cancer awareness month. Colon cancer is the third most common cancer in men and women, but it's one of the most preventable cancers because it most often starts out as a polyp or growth in the colon and find the polyp, remove the polyp and prevent colon cancer. That's, that's the mantra this month. And, and really every month for us as gastroenterologists screening, if you're 45 to 75, get screened over 75, talk to your doctor about it. Some people still do it if you're in good health. Colonoscopy is the best test, but there are other tests out there for sure. And, uh, encourage everyone to really think about getting screened. And Costas, you mentioned 45 to 75 year olds. So how often, how often should they be tested? Sure. If, if they have no polyps and if they're tested with a colonoscopy, it's every 10 years. Uh, if they have a family history or if they have symptoms or if they have polyps, it may be sooner than that, three, five, seven years. It depends on what's found on the colonoscopy and what the family history is as well. Yeah. And someone who's been the recipient of uh, colonoscopy several times is a factor of my age. It's not a big deal. You know, I think sometimes people are hesitant because, you know, they, it's so invasive. What, but you're, you know, you're uh, put under anesthetic and all of a sudden you wake up, it's done and you get the report right away. That's the other thing I loved. You know, you get pretty much a fee- immediate feedback. It's not like you have to wait for a long, long time. Right. For, that's exactly right. The worst part is is the the prep. No question about it. The preps have gotten better. Uh, the day of, uh, you don't remember anything. You're asleep and and you wake up and it's over. So it's uh, certainly a, a preventable cancer in most instances. And if you love somebody, do it for them. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, Costas, you're an amazing human person. I'm glad you're a clinician helping other people. I'm glad that you take the time to share your knowledge, your wisdom, your time, your experience with with others and organizations to help improve those as well. And it's great to see how well-rounded you are. You know, you've raised a, a daughter, you know, you're married, you, you play in a band, you recharge. So you can fit a lot into uh, this thing called life and do things well. So Thanks again for being on Digital Voices. Thank you very much, Ed. I really appreciate it. Hey, that wraps up another drop. As you heard multiple times, get tested. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening. 